Daily Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 102, live from AirVenture 2015, coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Zyko, Sean Moody, Eric Crump, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Welcome to Stuck Mike Avcast. This is a special Air Venture edition, Air Venture 2015, better known to most of us as Oshkosh. And I am really excited to have some people with us this evening who are our normal co host plus somebody else, a special guest who has been on the Stuck Mike Avcast before at Sun and Fun. Uh, so we had three people on the ground reporting at Sun and Fun. But first, before we get started, a, a quick uh, word from our sponsors. Our sponsor this evening is aerospacescholarships.com. Aerospace scholarships.com there's money out there for you and uh, there's money if it, it doesn't matter if you're needs-based or, or anything if you're 50 years old or 15 years old there's a scholarship for you so go to aerospace scholarships.com aerospace scholarships.com anyway i am joined this evening with by uh, rick felty hi rick hello hello and victoria Hello. Like, how are you? And uh, I'm just—I just noticed this picture popped up of. Uh, oh look, there's a little doggy with you, isn't there? And uh, oh, where, where, where is he this evening? By the way, Turbo is uh, fast asleep behind my chair. Oh, okay, we won't bother him then. Um, <laughs> but uh, also joining us is Larry Overstreet. Hi, Larry. Hello from Milwaukee. And uh, another special guest you've heard of before, Tom Frick. Tom has uh, been on the show at Sun and Fun uh, a few times and was on the ground uh, helping us out with the uh, podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Tom. Hello, hello. <laughs> it's great great to have you. And let's do the pre-flight. I tell you, one thing that I've always wanted to do, and I'm very jealous of, of you folks, is, is getting to... Air Venture. I've always wanted to go there, and I never made it. I had all my friends that were texting me saying, "Hey, Carl, where are you?" And I was like, "Well, I'm not there." But uh, but I heard it was a great show, and it was quite exciting. So before we get started with introducing some of the interviews, we have some really cool interviews uh, from the show from Air Venture. I wanna I wanna hear a little bit back from from you folks as to you know what was it like to be there at Air Venture? And I think I might start with Victoria. See, Victoria, you actually you had to be there, right? This was this was work related, was it for you? Yes, uh, I was working both with uh, aviation insurance resources. That's where I make my money. And then I was also um, there to promote Turbo the Flying Dog books. And Oshkosh is very important when you work in aviation because that's when you meet everyone. And it's the one time a year you can meet all your clients in person versus being on the phone or talking via email. And it's also a great way to get people connected with you and whatever services you might have to offer. And a lot of people walk by and be like, oh, wait, I've, I've had this question about insurance for the longest time. Can you help me out? And I'm always, you know, so I'm there to answer and uh, assist people with whatever they may need. So that must be pretty crazy as a vendor. I mean, there it's you know you have to get all set up beforehand. I mean, what's it like to be a vendor there? I'm I'm assuming you guys came there early. 
Yes, so we had someone uh, come in on Sunday to set up, and then you have to stay all the way till Sunday when the hangers close uh, the following Sunday to tear down, and you cannot tear down early. So it definitely is a very long week, and in the booths, you know, there's a lot of standing, and the floor is pretty hard. They do give you cushions, um, and but I would love to see if we could get some better cushions. Because it's, it's, it's a long time standing, long time standing, long time talking, and uh, I had no voice by the end of it, actually. <laughs> I can imagine. You know, from a vendor's perspective, I know you guys have been to quite a few different shows. How does this compare to some of the other ones that you've been to? Oshkosh is the place to be. <laughs> you, you can't miss Oshkosh. That's, that's the way to go. Uh, we actually don't have a booth at Sun and Fun anymore, but we always send people down to walk around. And that's what a lot of the underwriters we do that work with, too. If, if a major insurance company doesn't have a booth, they always send people to walk around and meet the brokers that they work with, like us, and discuss what, you know, what they need and what we need in the industry. So it's something that's important because it's kind of where everyone communes just one week out of the year. And that's the time to, you know, get business done. You know, it's interesting just to give the, the audience an idea of the scale of what you just said, that you don't actually have a booth at Sun and Fun, and you send folks up to Oshkosh. You know, the, in Sun and Fun is the largest exposition in the state of Florida. And, uh, you know, that, that, that says something there. It's, it's ginormous. I mean, I think it's big. Mm-hmm. But, but in, if you put it in scale, from what I've heard, it's a maybe, I don't know, from your perspective, how, how much bigger is it? Is it five times, ten times bigger going to AirVenture? I would say about five times. Five times? I wouldn't go higher than that. Um, mm-hmm. It's been five, well, no, eight years since I've been to Sun and Fun, though, so I hope to get back there soon. And I really hope it grows because these types of things are amazing. And to have it twice a year, I think, is just beneficial to anyone, you know, who has an aviation business. Right. Well, that's cool. So, so if you're, you're looking to sell something to a broad aviation market, general aviation especially, this would be the place to be, uh, is what I'm thinking. So oh, definitely. Maybe, maybe we'll have a Stuck Mike Avcast booth next year. Who knows? Can Ooh. we do that? That'd be, that'd be kind of cool. We let's should do get something our sponsors live. now. <laughs> yes, let's start. <laughs> Anybody wants to sponsor us, go, you know, contact us at stuckmikeavcast.com, please. Uh, but, yeah, that, that's awesome. Plus, you also were able to get out there and promote your book. Uh, the new one, which again, uh, what's the new book again? So that so if people haven't heard about it yet, what is your new book? Book two of the Turbo the Flying Dog series is Turbo Learns to Fly, and he actually learns to fly an airplane and has a female flight instructor who's having a few issues, you know, feeling like she's a part of the aviation community. And you know, it was really funny was to hear um, Ambie Dung Walsh. She makes the Aviatrix watches, beautiful watches. I was at the seaplane base, ran into her, we sat down at a picnic table, and she read Turbo Learns to Fly in a British accent to everyone there. And it was quite a hit. <laughs> awesome. Did you record it? I wish. I got oh, a little bit. You. A little bit. There's the audio book. You have somebody that can read it now. That's great. Tom already <laughs> took my recorder back by then. Oh, <laughs> Tom. I'll blame him. <laughs> you can blame Tom for that. Well, that's awesome to hear your perspective on, on Air Venture. Well, how about as, as like a, a participant and you were out there checking out stuff, what was like the coolest thing you saw while you were there? You know, I, this year I don't know if it's so much about what I saw. I was so busy. Yeah. This year, I felt like a little bit of an orphan. I didn't have Bob with me, and this is the first time since I've dated Bob that he wasn't at Oshkosh with me. 
And I didn't really want to stay with my coworkers because that meant I'd be around them 24-7, you know, driving with them. And there was a lot of friends I wanted to see. And sure enough, some friends came by and offered me a place to stay with them. And I hitched rides to different places every single day. I had different dinners with different people. There was not a day that I wasn't out until 1 a.m., with new friends, old friends, or even coworkers, and like I had a home everywhere I went, and so that That's was cool. what was really special was was the people and how I never had to beg for a ride. People were offering me help everywhere I went. I just think that's great, and that personifies all these uh, air shows, I feel, is that it's really the people that you go for. You come for the airplanes and all, but it's, it's the people that, that really shine, and, and they're sharing and caring attitudes. I think it's just, just awesome. What a wonderful uh, community we have in aviation. Well, you know, Victoria, that's really cool, uh, your perspective. Before we have you introduce uh, the, the interviews, which will be the second part of this, uh, I want to move on to, to some of the other folks' opinions about the show. And then Tom, I think uh, Tom actually was there working at a booth uh, for a vendor and also was able to go out and do a couple interviews for us. So, Tom, uh, how was, how was uh, Air Adventure for you, and, and what were you doing there? I'll tell you, I was uh, I was working a booth with uh, M0A.com, and uh, I, I pretty much worked uh, the whole week. Um, I left and I uh, got there on Tuesday and worked through uh, Sunday. Oh, cool! And and for people here that are listening, uh, M0A.com is uh, was actually the brainchild of Jason Shepard. And and uh, what type of products that do uh, does M0A actually have and produce? Um, Jason has written, uh, I think, 10 books uh, relating to aviation, um, specifically uh, aviation instruction. He also has an online ground school. Um, it's basically all video uh, online ground school that he uh, um, offers to uh, students. Um, it's, it's just a wealth of information. Um, I basically found Jason just perusing the Internet. I was looking so, I was so desperate for ins- information, um, getting my ratings. And Jason uh, has has free stuff out there, and you can uh, Google M0A, and and you can find all sorts of stuff. And uh, his forte is basically putting GoPro cameras all over his cockpit and on the outside of the plane, and basically um, instructing and telling you what's going on for different maneuvers and, and different aspects of flight. Yeah, I tell you, it's really the first person that I saw do that was uh, that did it really well was Rick Felty, and I really got in tune with his videos. And I think Jason does an awesome job yeah. too. So, Rick, yeah, yeah. What do you think? It, well, I used to listen, I used to watch his stuff too uh, to learn, <laughs> and so I've I've been a follower of his for a while, and the stuff's great. I yeah. love you know he's he's got good placement. He's also able to talk and do the training you know at the same time, which which there are people who do, but I just enjoy the fact that he's he's up doing it. While right. I was talking about it. Yeah, and he, which, he's very animated. I love that. Which, by the way, I was very grateful for Rick's stuff as well, because I came across that online and, and through you, Carl, as well, turning me onto that. So, uh, Rick, you got a lot yeah. of good video video stuff, too. Yeah, I need to get up and do some more. But, yeah, thanks. It was fun. Fun to do. Yeah, and it's it's really helpful having all those videos out there. But, of course, uh, M0A does all this other stuff, too, that's it's commercial and you can purchase. But he has so much stuff for free and, and very, very helpful. So now you actually, uh, Tom, you worked that uh, whole week at his booth. Did you get a chance to get out and check out? Son of, or excuse me, Air Venture. Um, I did. I got to. I got to walk around a little bit. Um, uh, Victoria described pretty uh, accurately what it's like standing in a booth all week long, and uh, takes a lot out of you. Um, my legs were pretty sore by the end of the week, so uh, a lot of walking wasn't uh, really what I wanted to do. But I did get out, and uh, I got through all the hangars and got to see all the vendors and 
Um, got to see uh, some of the warbirds and, and things of that nature. Um, it, it's quite massive. There, there's no way that I could have gotten through all of it. Um, you get out to one side of the field where they have all the forums and there's just tons of stuff going on there as well. It's, it's just, it's overwhelming how big this place is. And, you know, getting out there, a lot of people don't realize when you're working at one of these shows, you really don't get a chance to see things. Like, uh, you know, I told somebody that I, I really didn't have an opportunity to see much of the air show. He says, well, didn't you look up in the air? And I said, well, actually, I was out interviewing people all the time. So, uh, you know, when you're actually working, it's a whole different world than, than just being somebody that's that's a participant or somebody who's just watching the show. Um, but, uh, you know, how about, you know, when you were out there, there's got to be some really cool things out there. What do, you, what do you think was the neatest thing? I mean, what was your favorite part about air venture and uh, airplane uh, uh, display etc oh i think it would have to be the f-35 oh yeah oh it was beautiful just sitting that's on the what ground. i was thinking yeah. of later and, 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 like, and you know what said that. <laughs> there's, there, there's there's something just super cool about a fighter jet sitting on the ground with men with machine guns standing around it <laughs> <laughs> and and you got to see it fly Indeed, yeah, they they flew it um, on Saturday and Sunday. Um, it's it's very loud uh, and it, it's very fast and it, it's very maneuverable. You know, they had um, they had the F twenty two up and it, it was doing all sorts of neat stuff, and then they put it up and it was flipping around and doing kind of the same things in uh, a, a very cool aircraft. You know what I love about the F twenty two is the fact that it's it's kind of like a propeller aircraft in an air show is that you get to watch everything in front of you. Uh, how does it compare like to the F thirty five? Were you able to, to actually see a whole air show in front of you, or you were constantly looking left and right? Um, for the most part, where I was, I was off in a hangar and, and really didn't get out airside to see the air show when they were doing it. So I, I got to see them fly, but I wasn't really in um, out there watching the air show. Yeah, I wonder, I'm assuming they can stay show center a lot more than some of the other acts that are out there, like the F-16s, etc. And uh, one of the reasons, I, like I said, I like the F-22, but the F-35 looks like an awesome, awesome air show. So, it yeah. is, and, and one of the other, they had, um, they had two Harriers flying at the same time, which that was pretty cool as well. I mean, having Harriers floating in front of you in stereo, that was, that was very loud as well. Wow, yeah, I can imagine. It must have shaked your teeth out of your mouth. There, uh, as a matter of fact, you know there's some really cool photos on the Internet. Uh, that I've been looking at from from Air Venture, you know, I couldn't live there, I couldn't go there, but I'm living vicariously through a lot of other folks. And one of the people uh, that's there on the field, and I think you got to see him, was Ken Mist. And Ken Mist is uh, from Canada. He's a great aviation photographer. He's been retired now from his his regular job. And uh, if you go to Stuck Mike Avcast or Aviation Careers Podcast, I have a lot of photos that he's taken. And uh, really like to support him. He's he's really a, a cool guy and has some really cool shots. The F thirty five is one of them that he has. As a matter of fact, probably the most impressive uh, photo that I've seen is the A three fifty. He took a picture of it as it's going by one of the campers in uh, Camp Bacon. I don't know if you got a chance to check that out, but I actually have it on uh, Aviation Curse Podcast. So I'll, I'll put a little link to that photo. But just some really really cool stuff out there. Um, but anyway, is there is there anything else about uh, Air Venture that would make you come back to the show, Tom? Um, yeah, I think just I'd, I'd have to experience it again. Like I said, just the sheer enormity. There's no way that I could see it all in one <laughs> one even even in the week that I was there. There's just no way. Right. Um, you know, I met so many really cool people. Um, uh, you know, and and you pick things out of the crowd. Like um, when I was when I was first registering for Air Venture. Um, on EAA's website, there's a, a picture of this hat. It's a hat with a bunch of patches on it. And these patches are, you know, just some of them are old and ragged. And, and you can tell they're for every year 
that um, Air Venture has happened, or at least the individual that owned the hat. And sure enough, I was sitting in one of the forums and looked over, and there's the guy wearing the hat. And so I got over, got to talk to him, and and he literally had 36 years worth of patches on that hat. Wow. He'd been to Air Venture for 36 straight years, and and every year he put a different patch on there. And you know, EAA saw the hat, and they've got it on their website for God's sakes. I mean, it's 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 cool. That that's just the enormity of that that somebody comes back that often and, and for that long and finds that much interest in it that that speaks volumes in itself well i wonder if, if larry overstreet's been there uh, that many times uh, larry how many times have you been there uh yeah i don't think i've been there quite that many times my first year was 1979 and i've been there most of the years since oh, wow. uh i have missed a few you know living out of state or, or whatever but uh for the most part i've been there for most of those years when did it um, and, switch to Oshkosh? Because wasn't it in a different location in the 70s? I believe it was 1970 or 71 when it moved oh, okay. from Rockford, Illinois, on up to Oshkosh. Oh, okay. So that's a, that's a while ago. That's, that's for sure. A wonderful thing that they put together there. Well, you know, Tom actually was working, and he had to go out and, and do his work. Actually, Tom was really working hard for M0A. Uh, he didn't really get to do too many interviews uh, for Stuck Mike Avcast. He was working so hard, and, but we appreciate that he's, he was able to, to check out some sites for us. But, Larry, you actually uh, you were doing a little bit more as far as interviews for us, but uh, you were really enjoying yourself, uh, I see, out of the pictures that you have on Facebook. Yeah, th- th- this was really one of the best Oshkoshes I remember. Um, you know, and whether you're talking about the airplanes or the air shows or uh, just the people, you know, like other people have mentioned, uh, um, it was really a great year. The weather was terrific, so I think the crowds were up. Um, uh, camping in Camp Scholar was significantly up, just by judging it uh, from sight. Um, last year, they said there was. Uh, well over 50,000 campers there in Camp Scholar. That does not include aircraft camping uh, or the North 40 or the South 40. It's just, you know, the campers in Camp Scholar. So it's a little town. In fact, uh, I've heard that if it was uh, actually a town, it would be the third largest city in Wisconsin behind Milwaukee and Madison for that one week. Wow. Um, over 10,000 airplanes on the ground, over a half a million people through the gates over the course of the week. Um, it's a really, really spectacular show. Um, just standing at, uh, I think this year it was uh, Boeing Plaza. Uh, they changed the name depending on who sponsors it. So you have Boeing Plaza and you have a Boeing B-29, Fifi. You have a uh, Boeing uh, B-52. Uh, you have the Lancaster Bomber. You have the um, uh, two F-22s, the F-35, uh, the Harrier, the DC-3 that led the invasion at Normandy, uh, that's all, brother, uh, which is being restored by the Commemorative Air Force, um, B-17, and then, you know, P-51s and all kinds of other aircraft in there, just, and just standing in the middle of that and looking around airplane by airplane by airplane. It's just stunning all the things that you could see there. Um, this was a really good year for that. Um, and then there were a lot of fun things to go do. Uh, one of the things in a couple of the interviews touch on this that I did uh, one of the things that I really enjoyed this year was uh, what they call the Pilot Proficiency Center. Um, and that was a collaborative effort between um, EAA and a bunch of other vendors, including uh, Redbird and um, uh, Pilot Edge, uh, Davy Clark, Jeppesen, Hartzell, and a few others that I apologize for missing. Um, but you could go in with an instructor, either VFR or IFR, and um, uh, go through a bunch of different scenarios that they had set up for you. 
And so on the IFR side, they had uh, three different approaches and four different scenarios that got progressively more difficult. And just by going in there for a couple of days and doing a couple of these scenarios each day, um, I was able to get my six approaches and a hold and an intercept in to, to be IFR current at no charge with a double I sitting next to me. Cool. Um, yeah, and so you know that if I think about the the cost that would have been to go out and do in an airplane, um, that more than paid for my uh, camping up there. <laughs> That's for sure. You know, it, I was just thinking about this as you were saying this that a lot of people don't realize that there's so much there. You could just spend your whole time, I think, at Air Adventure just going to seminars and learning things, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, we had some of the folks that uh, we camped with at Camp Bacon that went to welding uh, seminars. Um, you know, you can go, I, I've learned uh, to do riveting up there, fiberglass work. Um, you can carve a propeller. Um, uh, I mentioned welding fabric, you know, tube and fabric kind of uh, work. Uh, you can do just about any physical skill, you know, any kind of hands-on skill that you want in order to be equipped to start to go out and build an airplane. Um, and then there are all kinds of seminars about, you know, that on different topics, interviews, famous people within aviation, um, you know, folks talking about, um, they're this year uh, talking about Apollo 13 um, and some of the guys who went through it from both ends. Um, and so it was really, a, uh, it, it's just a smorgasbord. And, you know, you were talking, Tom, you were talking about not being able to see it in a week. You, you can't see it in many, many years. You could go back year after year after year and spend the entire week there, and it would take many years to really kind of absorb all that's there to, to take advantage of. And then there are all the people, you know, and uh, uh, we all say that, that it's the people that keep, that keep you coming back, but it really is. Um, uh, we ended up camping this year with, uh, I think we counted up about 55 different people that were part of our campsite. Um, and everybody goes off in the morning, and they do their thing, and they come back, and they swap stories, and you know, have a campfire and have dinner together sometimes, and uh, it's really just a fun, fun time. You had 55 people at the campsite. I know you mentioned this to me before, but if maybe you can share with the audience, what is the, I think it's called, I said Camp Bacon. What What is Camp Bacon, and, and what do those people do there? Yeah, so Camp Bacon is just the name that we, we've given to our uh, campsite where several of us, 55 of us, I guess this year, that, that includes some spouses and, and kids and stuff too, but um, uh, where we just over the years, most of us met initially on social media. So we found each other via Twitter, Facebook, podcasts, whatever. And then as we uh, bumped into each other at Oshkosh, sort of the, the thought of, hey, where are you camping? Well, I'm on this role. I'm on that role. Well, what if next year we got together, you know? And so now we've got a pretty, pretty significant group that, um, uh, we, we all pick a, an arrival day um, and pay for our camping in advance. And so then, because I'm the closest geographically, I go and stake it all out and then kind of sit there and uh, make sure nobody tries to, to take our land um, <laughs> but, uh, until the show starts. But um, we really do have a good time. A uh, lot of people from a lot of different uh, backgrounds. Um, we had friends from uh, um, Australia and New Zealand and Canada, Ken Mist, you mentioned, camped with us, um, all over the United States, north, south, east, west, midwest, um, mid-south, you know, every geography was, was represented. Uh, and for that one week, you know, we all have this one thing in common of aviation. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, left or right of me politically or if you have more experience than I do or less experience than I do aviation-wise. You know, we have this one love in common, and uh, that's, I think that's what keeps everybody coming back. 
Well, that's awesome. They put that very well, and and that is is really what personifies, I think, Air Venture, and that, that's really really neat. Well, Larry, you know, you've got me really excited about uh, listening to some of these interviews uh, from the air show. But be- before we get to those, uh, I forgot to do something in the beginning. Uh, Tom Frick actually, uh, before he came down to or went up, I should say, from Florida to Air Venture, he was working really diligently and uh, had a lot of setbacks. But he actually he was able to finish his commercial single engine rating. So uh, congratulations, Tom. Congratulations, Tom. That's great. Awesome. What an accomplishment. Awesome. <laughs> Tom, tell us a little bit about what happened there. I mean, you you actually really, you were ready to go, and, and you actually uh, had to cancel your, your check ride, and then eventually you finally finished it. You finished it right before you got there, correct? Yeah, I had, uh, I had check rides scheduled for weeks before Air Venture and was supposed to have it done before I, I ever got there. And uh, the weather here in Florida just was not cooperating. Um, weather uh, schedules with uh, DPEs and uh, designated pilot examiners, it, it just, nothing was seeming to work out right. I mean, I was ready to go, I think, four times easy. And uh, finally, um, on Monday, uh, July 20th, uh, I, I finally got to uh, finish the rating. I, I got the check right. I got it done. Um, I got it done about five o'clock in the afternoon. It wiped me out. I, I went home, fell asleep, got up, packed, and went to Air Venture. Wow. So I, li- I literally got my commercial like right before I flew up to Air Venture. Wow, what an accomplishment! You know, congratulations, Tom. And we'd love to hear some of the listeners. You know, write into us. Contact at stuckmikeafcast.com just to congratulate Tom Frick. That's that's awesome, Tom. You're not stopping there, are you? No, I'm not. Um, as soon as I got back from Air Venture, I jumped in the right seat, and I am—I uh, I think I've already turned in the IACRA for my uh, CFI, and and um, working towards that, and hope to have that completed here very soon as well. Wow, Tom, that's that's a lot to do in a short amount of time. You know, you're you're a glutton for punishment. Indeed. <laughs> well, that's great, and and I know you love aviation. I think uh, being a flight instructor is going to be really good for you. You've done some teaching in the past, and I, I think you're going to be a great flight instructor. So I'm very excited to to see that happen. Yeah, um, thank you, Carl. Yeah, yeah. So that that's that's awesome, and I and just keep us informed as to as to what you're doing and uh, in the future, and if you have uh, when you get your CFI and your double I and MEI and all those things that I know you're going to try to pass in the future. So we'll do, and it, and it just seems like yesterday we were sitting on the deck over at Sun and Fun. Son of Fun Radio talking about like yeah I'm working on a commercial and trying to get there and, and now it's done just amazing how quick that happened well what a, what an amazing accomplishment that's terrific that's terrific well you know guys it, this uh, this episode is about the interviews uh, you know I, I think it's really exciting that to hear from you folks uh, that have been to Air Venture uh, I'm excited to hear about these uh, the folks that you've met at Air Venture but to take us into the interviews uh, first of all we're going to start with uh, Larry's interviews and then we're going to go into Victoria's so Larry if you could just give us a quick introduction to the interviews that we are going to hear and and the people you spoke with yeah you bet um, there's one interview uh, from a gentleman who uh, is one of the pilots at the um, uh, Pioneer Airport, sorry, which is an old-time airport that's located within the grounds of Whitman Field. It runs its, as its own separate airport, um, and he's responsible for flying, uh, often flying uh, young eagles. And he does that not only during the course of the, the convention, but, but year-round. 
Um, and if you come out there for a ride and you want to take a ride in an open biplane, you may get him as a pilot. Or if you want to, uh, if you have a kid who's uh, between, I think it's 8 and 17 or something like that, uh, that's in part of the Young Eagles program, as part of that program, they get a flight. And so uh, this is kind of the behind the scenes of, of what's going on there at Pioneer Airport. And then, uh, as I mentioned, the Pilot Proficiency Center uh, was a place that I spent quite a bit of time this year. And so we have a couple of interviews, um, one with uh, one of the gentlemen who's running the Pilot Proficiency Center with some kind of cool news about it uh, potentially going mobile and uh, being at an airport near you. Um, and also uh, one of the gentlemen from the software company that uh, creates the instruments and instrumentation for the simulators uh, that Redbird uses. Awesome. I can't wait to hear those. And uh, and then after that, uh, was it Victoria had a few interviews that you had done, and uh, you had something really cool that you did while you were at uh, AirVenture. Yeah. One of uh, my favorite interviews I did was with Sean Berry, and he has a, a Cessna 172 on floats. It's a He's got four partners in it, and they flew it into the, um, I almost said Sun and Fun, to the Oshkosh seaplane base, which is an amazing place tucked away outside of the rest of Oshkosh, but I highly recommend you check it out sometime. It's just got such a wonderful atmosphere. So uh, Sean actually brought me on my first float plane ride. Cool. And so that interview is a little bit about float planes, and um, you can listen to that. That's very interesting um, and was very exciting. Cool. Cool. Well, I tell you what, let's uh, let's do that. Let's go listen to Larry's and and listen to to your interviews, and uh, and afterwards we'll we'll close out. Well, uh, guys, this is this is really exciting. I can't wait to hear him. So let's let's go to the interviews. Now entering cruise flight. Hello, this is Victoria with the Stuck Mike Abcast, and I am here with three wonderful women: Lynn Kaywood, Carol Kaywood, and Leslie Page. And uh, you know, I am always. Woo pro woman. Um, only 6% of pilots are women, so this is what this interview is about today. We're in a hangar A. My booth is closing down, and I'm about to have fun with these ladies, but first, an interview. Um, so, Leslie, tell me how long you've been coming to Oshkosh and what you've been doing here this week. Well, this is my 11th year at Oshkosh. We came in 2005 when we first bought our airplane, and I wasn't a pilot yet, I was a student pilot. Oshkosh interruptions. <laughs> so we bought our airplane in 2005 and we flew to Oshkosh. My husband was the pilot and I was a student pilot at the time. When I got my license in 2007, I was PIC and I flew the Fisk approach and that was really exciting. So this week... <laughs> this is what I do about the aero Yeah. <laughs> This has been one of our most exciting trips ever. We've been here since last Wednesday, so more than nine days. <laughs> it is. We came to beat some weather. And I was very fortunate that I was able to do a forum presentation. And my presentation was focusing on introducing women to flying. So I went through my journey of become a, becoming a pilot and then talking about how I do discovery flights and organize discovery flight events to introduce women and girls to aviation. Now you can, um, you have a website, so tell us a little bit about your website, and I know you've been in a magazine, and are um, a sought-off, you know, sought-after presenter, so tell us a little more about that. Well, my website is www.couragetosoar.com, 
and it, it does tell some stories. It tells the stories of how I got into flying. It tells some of the stories about some of my trips to Oshkosh. And it also tells some of the stories about the discovery events that I organize. Um, what is your favorite thing about Oshkosh in general? And what's your favorite thing about the Oshkosh this year? In general, my favorite thing about Oshkosh is the fact that I am totally immersed in aviation for an entire week. It is an unbelievable community. And it's so everybody is just about aviation. So I could talk about aviation all day long and I don't have to worry about boring people. <laughs> and this week, I think my favorite part was the presentation that I just did just this afternoon. So I'm still coming down off that high. I apologize for missing that. <laughs> <laughs> Not a problem. I'll catch you next time. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So Lynn, um, I actually am very, very grateful for Lynn. She's a, a gracious person. I airlined in and was bitching about the whole airline experience. And guess who had a spare seat on the flight back on Sunday? So that's me. <laughs> so Victoria's going to get a first class seat on the ride home. So um, you have a beautiful white haired lady next to you. And Carol here flies around a lot with you. Can you tell me about the mother-daughter relationship you have and how you share aviation and Oshkosh together? Well, Mom is um, my greatest fan, which I love, <laughs> but also is a great aviation enthusiast and has been my greatest supporter with flying. She turned 80 this year. And 80 years young. 80 years young, and she is a student sport pilot. And so she's joined the 99s to get the support and the mentoring from the rest of us that are pilots and belong to the 99s as well. And um, I've hauled her all over the country in my plane. We've been to Montana and back, uh, Yellowstone Park, um, down to uh, North Carolina, Texas, all the way to Houston. And, um, and here to Oshkosh several times. Uh, I've been coming here since 2008. And I brought mom up, I think, in 2010, maybe. And uh, she loved the experience so much. She's been back every year with us. So uh, Leslie got her start because her husband was flying, and she wasn't going to let him be PIC all the time. <laughs> so how did you get your start in flying? Well, I got my start in flying. It was kind of one of these things you always wanted to do, but just never thought it was an opportunity. And you know, I thought you had to join the military to do all that. And, I started dating a pilot, and I thought that he had learned in the military. He says, no, I learned down at the local flight school. He says, um, but you know what, you know, if you're going to hang with me, you should at least take a pinch hitter course or, you know, a companion flying course. So I did that, and um, part of that course involved getting a couple hours in the right seat with an instructor, and after the first lesson, the instructor said, why are you sitting in the right seat? You need to be the pilot. And I hand and hawed and played with it for a little bit. And um, and then after I wasn't dating him anymore, I realized, you know what? I still really love this and I want to do this. And, and I don't have an excuse now, so I think I'm going to finish. So now you're actually uh, participated in several air races. Can you tell us about the Air Race Classic? Right, so the Air Race Classic is the successor to the original National Air Race Derby um, that's the women were allowed to compete for the first time in 1929, and they dubbed it the uh, Powder Puff Derby because the ladies, when they would get out of their planes, would 
take their makeup powder puffs and fix their face before they had their interviews. And um, so that race has been going on in some form or fashion since uh, 1929. And the Air Race Classic has been around since, I think, 1977. And there's a documentary coming out that's featuring you, about, featuring you right? It, yep. it features um, the Air Race teams from 2014. And it, uh, it was filmed during the entire race uh, last year. And Kara White, or Kara Martinelli, who is um, the producer, actually got her student sport pilot certificate to ride in the back of my plane as crew, and she filmed actually inside the plane as well during the race. So it, I mean, I managed to get a few spots in the in the in the movie because of that. But yeah, it's uh, it's really neat. It features um, the legacy of um, the Air Race Classic now. Awesome. So guess who's next? Carol, can you tell us what you think of the Oshkosh experience from the perspective of a big aviation fan and a student pilot? Well, it's very lovely. As I said, as Lynn said, uh, first time I came, I didn't quite know what I was in for. I like to describe it as a state fair on steroids with airplanes. <laughs> and uh, my, some of my friends of my vintage say, you're going back again. This is you were just there last year, but there's always something different. I thoroughly enjoy seeing all the different types of airplanes, but the best thing is the people and seeing people over and over. Every year we get to see each other, and it's that's what I enjoy. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to go back to all three of you real quick before we close up and go out for margaritas. Um, I want you to think of one thing you'd like to tell anyone who's considering about entering aviation or becoming a pilot, and especially uh, since we are all females, what you would like to tell uh, fellow ladies that are considering entering the field. All right. Well, only 6% of pilots are women, which is one of the reasons that I got involved with trying to get more women pilots. And when I was learning to fly, what I found was I had a lack of female mentors. My instructor was female, which was very, very fortunate, and I would advise a female student to look for a female instructor if possible. But again, only 6% of pilots are women, so what percent of instructors are women? So that could be difficult. Um, but I, then I did, I joined a lot of flying clubs, and a few of the flying clubs did have some women aviators in them, and I found that that was very helpful. And then I joined the 99s, and that was the best thing that I did because it's all women aviators. And the support and the mentorship that you get from the 99s is second to none. Well, I think uh, Leslie echoes my sentiments as well, is um, I, by the third instructor, um, I said they were all going off to um, fly big stuff, you know, for the airlines. I said, I need an instructor that's going to click with me and that I'm going to be able to really learn how to fly. And I was lucky enough to get a female instructor as well that helped me through and helped mentor me. And I didn't find the 99s until I'd actually got my private pilot certificate. But I would encourage networking. Don't be scared to ask. Ask questions. Find other women at the airport. Sometimes it's hard. But be bold. Be brave. Aviation is a very exciting... 
the plane. Guess that plane. Guess what that is. <laughs> so, aviation is really is fun, exciting, and you need to be bold to fly. So be bold to ask in your personal life. Get that help. Get a mentor. Get somebody to help you really encourage you to keep going and lean on those friends and you'll have a grand time. Well, I echo what the other two have said. I do believe that we do need more women pilots. We need young girls to understand that there are lots of things, horizons they can do and they do need mentoring. And so they need to be with someone who will be kind to them and take them along. Well, thank you, ladies, uh, for being with us today. And um, my advice would be to listen to the Stuck My Gap cast because uh, there's a lot of people we meet uh, through the podcast, uh, these lovely ladies that are here with us today and everyone at Oshkosh and other people we interview throughout the season. And um, that's an F-22, I believe, or something equally as loud in the background. And... Uh, so yeah, podcasts are very helpful. You know, there's a bunch of us out here and we're just here to share and enjoy aviation and signing off. Hello, this is Larry Overstreet with uh, Stuck Mike Avcast. Um, special assignment for Sun and Fun Radio and today I'm at Oshkosh, Wisconsin during Air Venture 15 at the Pilot Proficiency Center and I'm joined by Brian Bishop and he's heading up the Pilot Proficiency Center uh, and it's a really cool place. I've had a little bit of time to uh, do some IFR scenarios and wanted to share some of the other information about what's going on here with you. Brian, thanks for your time today. Oh, thanks for coming over today. This is really an amazing center. We've got a lot of things going on here. We have VFR simulators, we've got IFR simulators and really what we're trying to do through EAA is say, how do we truly affect general aviation safety? And it's not about procedures. It's more about behavior of you as a pilot. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I've never had the perfect flight, you know, so I'm always striving, striving, striving to have the perfect flight. So what this proficiency center does, it allows you to practice your your skills on a, both a VFR and an IFR scenario. We have over 40 CFIs here that are volunteering their time. You can come in and sign up for a one-hour sim, either IFR or VFR, sit down with a CFI and go through any one of our scenarios. On the VFR side, we have high density altitude takeoff and landing, crosswind takeoff and landing. You know, you can do fly the arrival here at Oshkosh, or you can even land on an aircraft carrier if you want. And on the IFR side, we have three building scenarios where the weather progressively gets worse. It's all flown around the John Wayne Airport in that area. And the cool thing about that is the pilotage.net guys are helping us with live ATC. So you're talking to a live person. But, you know, this would not be possible if we didn't have you know, the incredible support, not only from EAA, but also also from HeartSoul, from Redbird Simulators, from uh, Jepson and AOPA, and the, um, the Mindstar Aviation guys have done just an amazing job, along with all the other sponsors here. Very good. I, I've heard uh, that there's a vision for taking this on the road to some other cities. Is that something that uh, we know anything about yet? Absolutely. I think there's a plan. We'd like to get this out to Flying Expo later in October. I think there's some working to do that. You know, at the end of the day, I think strategically, um, EAA would like to take this and maybe work it even into the chapter system. So if you're chapter wanted to have a, a proficiency week and you didn't have simulators close by, maybe there's a way to get them out to your chapter and get some CFIs and do some pilot proficiency within the chapter. Oh, that's very cool. Uh, it's a it's a really neat setup. I'm really enjoying uh, participating in it and watching it. And I've been trying to uh, encourage my friends to get over here. So thanks for the time today, Brian. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. There's a huge buzz. And if you just want to come by and listen to some of the technical talks we got, we have some great forum leaders there. Come on by, sign up for a simulator. It is way cool here. Oh, that's great. Now, you don't have to be a 
pilot to come over, right? What we try to do is keep it to pilots or student pilots because really we want this to be a proficiency center for them. I'll tell you what, there are simulators all over the airfield for those who are not pilots to be able to go fly. Very good. Brian, thanks so much. Thank for you. Stuck Mike Avcast and Sun and Fun Radio, this is Larry Overstreet. This is Victoria with the Stuck Mike Avcast, and I have a very special guest today. This is my lovely coworker, John Scheimer at Aviation Insurance Resources. We recently both were at the Oshkosh Air Show together, but he got to have a different experience outside the booth. He is on the crew of Greg Kuntz and the Alabama Boys Show. So uh, welcome, John, and tell me a little bit about Greg Kuntz and what his show is all about. Well, hi, Victoria. Thanks for having me. Um, well, I uh, started flying, doing the air shows with Greg uh, back in, I guess it was 2013. I hooked up with Greg at uh, Lock Haven at the J3 Piper Sentimental Journey Fly-In in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. And uh, we did the little skit with the Alabama boys where Greg flies a Piper Cub, which is born there in Lock Haven. And he has a pickup truck rigged up with a world's smallest airport landing there, and uh, he flies in the antics, and I give him some commentary, and the crew uh, provides some more comedy. So it's pretty exciting the way he flies it and ends up putting the cub on the top of the pickup truck. So um, in the Oshkosh show that we watched uh, this past week, uh, someone quote unquote, takes over the plane that doesn't exactly know what he's doing. Tell me a little bit about that part of the show. Well, the skit is uh, Greg, uh, the farmer, Clem Cleaver, and uh, he walks up to the announcer stand and wants to redeem his flight certificate that Bob Gump, me, had sold him uh, back in 1984 for $5. He wants to get his flight lesson in the middle of the air show. <laughs> So um, I bet you can reenact this right now for us. Well, I can give you a little bit of uh, Bob Gump because I'm Bob Gump. I know everything there is know about aviation. <laughs> so um, It's Bob's discount flying school. <laughs> we can teach anyone to fly, even you. And Bob's discount sales, too. We can sell airplanes. If you can buy it, I can fly it. <laughs> do you sell airplane insurance? <laughs> well, I do when I'm. Not crazy, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it was an awesome show. It was very humorous. It was one of the more fun shows you get to watch, seeing the Cub Gull all over the place and also landing on the back of the truck. Now, there's a lot of work behind the scenes that there, you were involved is. with. And Fred Masterson, what, uh, one of our insurers, is grandpa, and he shoots the tire off the plane, shoots the plane, <laughs> causes it to smoke and whatnot. So we don't leave grandpa out of the deal either because <laughs> Fred's. Fred's the he's he's the hard worker there. Fred does all the behind the scenes work setting the airplane up. He's been touring with Greg for probably eight years, I think that I know of, maybe longer. And uh, Greg's been flying since 1974 with Moser's Flying Circus, and he has an extreme decathlon act that he he does as well. So, uh, but Fred Fred and I, I we, they they put the Cub in a trailer when they go across country. It's not really convenient to fly it, and Greg moves the extreme decathlon from airport to airport and fred drives the truck so we had a air show in niagara and i helped fred drive the truck and the plane back out to oshkosh and get there and set the wings on the plane and how long does it take to take the wings off and put them back on in the piper cup it's about an hour and a half oh, you know, to take our time and make sure there's no mistakes 
Um, what else is it like behind the scenes? What else is involved, like the prep work before you go? Well, it's pretty much off the cuff. We kind of make it up as we go. I came up <laughs> with some new lines, you know, for Oshkosh. You know, don't push the button. You know, <laughs> don't, don't do that. And uh, I think Grandpa bent my tail wheel. And of course, he's had the ones where the airplane's too light. He, and Grandpa picks the tail of the airplane up, which is always nice. fun, you know. <laughs> it's too light. It's too light. <laughs> So one of the neatest parts of the show is when Greg actually lands the plane on the back of a pickup truck. Tell us what's involved with that. Well, that's kind of exciting, you know, and depending on the winds, and there was some good wind up there in Oshkosh. Yes, there was. He had to crab it over a little bit. And, yeah, if he get, he, Greg gets it on the truck every time. I'm amazed. But uh, he brings it in. Uh, Fred's been driving the truck, and I don't think Greg would land on the truck without Fred driving. But I've ridden along in the truck, and we go down the runway and we we're hauling butt down the runway and he gets it on there. So it's pretty exciting. I, I kind of sighting in the truck so I can tell him where he's at a hundred feet, you know, 50 feet. How fast feet. is the truck going? It's about 50, 55. 55. Yeah. And he'll bring it in and depending on the wind, you know, he sets up a, a go around flight he was never intending to land, but makes the crowd think he's going to land on it. Mm-hmm. And then he brings it in and puts it on there depending on the time constraints or there's some time constraints sometimes in the show where we got to cut in part of it out or whatever you he'll react to that. But uh, so, um, what's the most dangerous? And there's always roadkill out there on the <laughs> runway. We got to stop for the roadkill because you're know, wearing the local 579 <laughs> union there and picking, grinning, plumbing, and distilling. That's the Alabama boys. Of course, you know, when they're from Alabama, we put anything in the back of a pickup truck. <laughs> Greg always does. <laughs> Try working with this accent. It's hard. Um, <laughs> now, how do they get the airplane off the truck? Well, that's the question everybody asks. We come up with some good answers for them. But basically, uh, we tie the wheels down on it so it doesn't blow off the truck. And we drive it back out there and uh, untie it and then uh, take off down the runway and Pulls off the truck, just flies it right off the truck. Oh, wow. Now, I bet there's quite a bit of danger landing uh, an airplane on a truck and that people should not do this at home, right? Yeah, I guess we should give that uh, teaser uh, trailer. uh, Don't try this at home, folks. (laughs) It's not for amateurs. And Greg's got a lot of skill and he's a he's a certified, uh, you know, flight instructor. He has Sky Country Lodge in Alabama at his house where he teaches aerobatics. And, uh, awesome. So you can go down there, and Greg will teach you how to fly aerobatics, and you have a nice two-, three-day course with him and bed and breakfast. And uh, so he's always available for those. And he's also, like I say, the ACE evaluator and the former ICAS ACE committee chairman. And, uh, yeah, he's been doing it for over 350 air shows, over 1,200 air show performances, accident-free, and we like that in the insurance business. <laughs> so it's a privilege to work with Greg and, and Fred, and it's a lot of fun, but it's a lot of work, too. I mean, it's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that, you know, we lose the tire, we shoot the tire off, we got to go find the tire or the FOD police come and get it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, where can everyone find a little bit more about Greg Koontz and the Alabama Boys? Yeah, Greg's got a nice website at gkairshows.com, and uh, it's got our schedule on there coming up. We're going to be heading up to, uh, I guess, Greenwood Lake, New Jersey, August 15 and 16, uh, New Garden, Pennsylvania, August 22, 23, Reading, September 12th and 13th, and a few more shows on down the line there. Sounds like you're busy. Yeah, it's busy. It's a little tiring. <laughs> Do you awake on Monday at work? 
Not usually. <laughs> I'm glad I get that coffee. Um, before we close up here, do you want to tell me um, your favorite thing about this year at Oshkosh? Yeah, Oshkosh had a lot of highlights, but uh, being included in the air show with Greg, um, and I've been going up there 30 years, and I've been associated with a lot of air show acts uh, uh, through the insurance business. I was with Avemco for 15 years, and we had the Christian Eagle Flight Team we sponsored. And then I insured the French Connection and uh, just being around all those air show personalities and being on the inside click with them, if you will, is, is always fun. But uh, Greg got uh, his poster on the wall at the AC Ducey Lounge, oh, which yay. I thought was pretty cool. And I got to sign my name on the poster. So I guess I'm enshrined in there at the AC Ducey with tell, the rest of it. Tell everyone a little more about AC Ducey. It's a unique uh, bar. Well, yeah, AC Ducey <laughs> is where... Jimmy Leeward and uh, uh, Danny Clisham had uh, ended up one night when they were hungry there after the air show, couldn't find anybody. And uh, Herb and Joyce opened the Herbie's AC Ducey Lounge. He opened the lounge up for them. And that's just where the air show crew ended up going year after year. And they got them some pizzas and stuff. And Herbie always tells the antics. And of course, there's those walls don't speak. So. We won't either. Those, those walls <laughs> are actually full of memorabilia and signed posters oh, yeah. and photos. I mean, you want to see the, some, of, some of the air show greats, uh, they're in there. So, yeah, pretty nice. That's definitely a place to go. Um, anything else you want to share about Greg Coons or Oshkosh this year that uh, you think our listeners would like to hear? Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, the air shows are always fun, and uh, Oshkosh always seems to deliver the weather was fantastic this year oh so, yes yeah it was a little hot a little warm but uh you know we uh we got a lot done and uh we're uh, always looking forward to go back but it's kind of a love-hate relationship at the end of the week <laughs> oh yeah i lost my voice <laughs> well thanks for including me in your podcast and uh hope to see you down the line anytime yeah i'll see you in the morning this is Larry Overstreet with Stuck Mike Avcast on special assignment for Sun and Fun Radio today. And today I'm at Oshkosh, Wisconsin in the middle of Air Venture 2015. And I'm joined by Stasi Poulis, uh, who is with Mindstar Aviation. And we're standing here at the uh, IFR, I'm sorry, the Pilot Proficiency Center, uh, IFR and VFR both. Um, Stasi, tell me a little bit about how you fit into this. So uh, Mindstar Aviation has, since the beginning of Redbird, been the avionics vendor for many of the avionics that you see in all of these Redbirds. So whether it's a TD, the LD, the FMX, or all the way up to the MCXs that do the King Air with the ProLine 21, that's our software that's running inside there. So in essence, we were invited into this exhibit to not only take greater control over our avionics, but to build onto our Airspace VR product, which is similar to Pilot Edge in the sense that we also provide air traffic control, but we also have scenarios that are built into the Airspace VR network. So we network simulators together, and we build scenarios on top of that that pilots can use to interact with the environment, the airplane, controllers, or other elements of flight to improve their skills. 
Very cool. Now, is that something that is uh, exclusive to Redbird, or is that a network that other uh, people can plug into from home or whatever? That's a good question, and the answer is anybody who's using either Lockheed Martin Prepared or Microsoft's Flight Simulator right now can plug into this network, and it doesn't matter if you're at home on a, on a personal computer or if you're in one of these big simulators. If As long as they're running that base software of Lockheed Martin Prepared or Microsoft's Flight Simulator along with Airspace VR, you get the access to the network. Oh, very cool. Uh, and you're, you designed the scenarios, the three scenarios for, that I've flown uh, here uh, for IFR. The VFR scenarios are the ones we designed. Okay. So basically, Pilot Edge designed all the IFR scenarios, and we designed all the VFR scenarios. So the VFR scenarios were built upon uh, guidance from the SAFE organization and the SAFE instructors, specifically Doug Stewart. And Doug picked out some of the most common problems that he sees as an instructor with what students experience. And we designed with him scenarios that fly in the Redbird simulators, the Redbird LDs, and it, it takes them through a particular common mistake item. So I don't want to reveal to all your listeners exactly what the mistakes are, because if anybody comes in here and flies it, they'll be cheating the, uh, the system. But they are really, really important. Every one of them has an important lesson. Sure. So uh, without without giving away too much, um, I've I've heard I've not flown any of the uh, VFR scenarios yet, but I've heard that you can practice things like crosswind and and so forth. Are any high level things you can share with people? Exactly, and I think the the big part of it is what our airspace VR scenario manager does is it creates a more dynamic environment, especially with weather. So you will fly scenarios in here, and it's not like the simulator gets set to a certain weather condition and it stays there. The weather can improve or deteriorate and you don't know which way it's going to go. Just like real life. Just like real life. Well, Stasi, thank you so much for your time today. The, it's really a great experience being here at the Pilot Proficiency Center at AirVenture 2015. Um, thanks for uh, helping to make it even that much better. Thank you very much. For Sun and Fun Radio and uh, Stuck Mike Avcast, this is Larry Overstreet. This is Victoria with the Stuck Mike Avcast, and I'm sitting in here in a house that is uh, rented just a pretty much across the street from the airport so good place to get to wake up in the morning to the sound notes of warbirds and the helicopter rides now this is a very unique um one-of-a-kind interview we have today um it's a first for stuck mike avcast we are actually here with uh santa claus and mrs claus (laughs) so welcome welcome good morning now, this is uh, the Claus's uh, first trip to Oshkosh, and I'm, I'm going to start with Santa here. If you can tell me, what's your experience? What, what do you think of Oshkosh so far? Oshkosh is absolutely amazing. Lots of uh, things to see, lots of things to do, workshops, uh, different airplanes, warbirds, the old planes that I remember from years ago, and uh, being able to meet just wonderful people. And I think that's the key to Oshkosh is... Just wonderful people. Now you're here with family, but were you a big aviation geek before you showed up to Oshkosh? No. No. And now are you? Just a reindeer geek. (laughs) So you have turned many heads this week. (laughs) Tell me what it's like to be Santa Claus, the most recognizable man in the world at Oshkosh. It is humbling. It keeps me in perspective. If I can make one little child's day today, it's been a good day. 
So we're, we're going to have to watch out for hashtag Santa Claus and hashtag <laughs> Ash15 to see uh, if he's made it viral over Twitter yet. Um, he is dressed like Santa. He has a hat that S has the initials SC on it that my boss jokingly thought was South Carolina. <laughs> and um, he's got the beard. He's got the hair. He's, he's the one-of-a-kind man. And now um, you two are actually uh, volunteering at the seaplane base. Um, Mrs. Claus, would you like to tell me a little bit about that? Well, I've learned a bunch of aviation terms that I never knew before and uh, found out that uh, pilots are really more independent when arriving and departing and fueling their own gas than I anticipated. And uh, it, it's been a fun experience, especially uh, meeting other volunteers and hearing where around the world they're from. We we did a shift with somebody from uh, Malibu, California last night. It was lots of fun. I think that's my favorite thing about coming to Oshkosh is uh, meeting the new people, especially uh, lovely, lovely people like you, because when else can I say that uh, Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus are my roommates? So that has definitely been a first for me at Oshkosh. Um, before we sign off here, what is uh, one thing you would tell people that have never been to Oshkosh before? What would you say to them to get them to come out this way? Well, that is a tall order. Um, I think what Santa would say to somebody who has never been to Oshkosh, come for a day. You'll come back every time after that. Awesome. How about you, Mrs. Claus? Uh, come casual. Don't bring anything dress up. <laughs> Everyone's in shorts, t-shirts, golf shirts, uh, but bring a hat with the wide brim because there's lots of sun. You'll end the day sweaty and sunburned, and we're about to get on with that day. So this is Victoria with Stuck Mike Gavcast uh, with our first interview with the closet. This is Larry Overstreet reporting for Stuck Mike Avcast, and I am on site today at the Pioneer Airport Flight Operations Area in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, about one week before the 2015 uh, Air Venture Show, and uh, things are starting to come to life. I'm joined here with Jim Cress, who's also from Oshkosh. Uh, good morning, Jim. Good morning. Uh, what can you tell me about flight operations here? What, what do you folks do? Well, we, uh, we do some real-world flying when people come and visit the museum. Part of the flying is done in our Young Eagle program. We use two glass airs for that uh, operation. One's a tail wheel, one's a nose wheel. We usually give the uh, Young Eagle pilots an opportunity of which one they want to fly. Uh, and uh, those are free of charge uh, to anyone that's between the ages of 8 and 17. And then we have a travel air, a 1929 biplane, that's also used for giving rides. Uh, those rides are revenue rides for the museum, and are $75 a piece. Um, so, so sometimes we uh, we're kept pretty busy with young eagles, and some days there's not too much going on here with young eagles. Today we've had, uh, I'd say, about a medium medium load today. We also have several volunteers that uh, spend the day out here uh, between Memorial Day and Labor Day generally and help out filling out the paperwork uh, for the young eagles and uh, uh, man the fire extinguishers when the airplanes start up and look out for general safety practice and keep the uh, spectators sort of behind the yellow ropes 
keep everything running smoothly. Keep everything running smoothly, you bet. Oh, uh, that's you good. It's it's fun to see you guys flying over uh, uh, Camp Scholar, where we're, where we're camped. Um, what else happens uh, out here during the show? Well, right now, Camp Scholar, as you know, is filling up pretty good. So every time I make a pass around the pattern, I see more campers involved over there. It is filling up. It is filling up, yeah. Uh, they have, uh, and I have not been a part of this, but they turned Pioneer Airport into a kid venture area during the Air Venture Convention. That's what you see all the large tents uh, on the uh, southeast end of the field for. And uh, they're also emptying out one of the hangars for tables, and uh, they have... Uh, uh, different banquets here to support the Young Eagles program and the Pioneer Airport in general. So there's a lot of activity that's going on uh, away from the main grounds and away from the museum right here at Pioneer Airport. There are a lot of neat planes that you can see. There are several uh, kind of old-fashioned looking hangars with uh, some great vintage and classic airplanes. Yes, they are. They're all replicas and built to specs, I believe, from what the uh, 1929 era hangars look like. Oh, that's super. Well, Jim, thank you very much for sharing a little bit about what's uh, happening here at Pioneer Flight Operations. Uh, this is Larry Overstreet reporting uh, at uh, our Air Venture 2015 uh, for Stuck Mike Avcast. This is Victoria Zyko with the Stuck Mike Avcast. I'm presently in a van on the way to the seaplane base at Oshkosh with the Barry family. Hi, Barry family. Woo. That's the Barry family. And um, my friend and insured here, this bump is uh, a seaplane pilot and he's gonna take me for uh, my first seaplane ride today so hello good Sean. morning victoria tell me a little bit about uh your bird uh so we're flying uh, uh november 78424 aka the force aka the fastest plane on rice lake the rice the lake we fly out of uh at surfside seaplane base up in lino lakes minnesota uh, it was previously owned by the mechanic on our field, and uh, he added a bunch of great uh, performance fixes to it. <clears throat> so with a Lycoming 0320 engine, it's actually making 184 horse of power uh, when running wide open. So it is definitely a speed queen. Uh, she's on straight floats, not amphibs. Uh, 172s, it's kind of tough to have amphib floats with the extra weight that brings. Uh, but otherwise, she's an amazing little bird. Uh, she spends half the year on floats and half the year on wheels, which of course makes her cheaper to insure. And uh, honestly, there's not that much liquid water for us to land on part of the year, so. Very true. Would you do skis someday? Oh, absolutely. Our uh, our mechanic actually has a set of skis for that plane, and uh, it's just been a matter of uh, you know getting proficient with it and trained up on it to make the investment. So, so um, speaking of proficient, tell us a little bit about a seaplane training and your check ride. Sure. So um, when I came to uh, to the seaplane rating, I had like so many others gotten my private pilot license and. You know, then kind of bummed around a little bit before uh, deciding to start doing some cross country. <clears throat> but by the time I came to the seaplane rating, uh, I had probably 250 hours, give or take. And, uh, you know, I, I was pretty proficient as a pilot, uh, you know, flying about 50, 60 hours a year. Um, yeah, and it, you know, it definitely helps keep the rust off when you're flying that much. Um, but, seaplane rating went very quickly uh, I was the last guy to start my rating and I was the first guy to finish my rating in my club uh, four people in the club um, one guy's got a little less time than me uh, one of our guys is a CFI and another guy is ATP you know airline pilot yeah. kind of the the common mix that you see in clubs um, 
but basically uh, I worked it out with my boss. I started training on a Saturday and then I flew every afternoon that the weather permitted um, for a week. And then the Friday of that week I took my check ride. So including the amount of time to take the check ride, uh, I logged 10.0 uh, from no seaplane experience to seaplane uh, certificated. Now I'm assuming it pretty much flies the same once you're in the air. So is yep. the majority of your time uh, water taxiing and takeoff and landings? Yep. A lot of what you spend your time on is, is water work. Um, it, it flies a little more like a truck when it's in the air because you have a lot more drag hanging out there. Um, it, it was actually kind of a surprise after having flown on the, the seaplane uh, for a while to go back to a land plane because there's so much cleaner and so much faster. Uh, but yeah, most of it's about how to be safe on the water. You know, water taxiing, getting up to the dock without hurting the dock, without hurting the airplane's a big part of it. There's also a condition called glassy water where the water is perfectly still. And when that happens, especially if the water's a bit clear, it can be very hard for you to figure out where the surface is. And, you know, just like coming down to a runway, you know, you don't want to still be in the, uh, you don't want to still be in the descent and not in the flare when you actually hit the water. So. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, it, but yeah, I mean, most of it's, most of it's time spent on water. And one of the things that made it very easy for me to get my rating so quickly is the area we train in around uh, Surfside. Uh, there are there are literally like 10 or 10 or 15 lakes within you know three nautical miles of our home base so there's a lake right next to us that you can pop up off the water go over a little kind of swampy lake that's not really good for seaplane flight and then that lake is big enough that you can do every kind of approach that you'd need to so I did my entire uh, check ride on one lake on one lake yep three or four takeoffs and landings, different conditions, short field, um, step taxiing, all that stuff. So. so important question. Yep. Have you ever uh, done a hundred dollar hamburger via a lake? Hmm. I don't think we've actually gone for food yet. The uh, Memorial Day of last year, uh, I was the only guy in our club who had the seaplane. So even though everybody else uh, was signed up to fly that weekend, all the CFIs were out of town so Kelly and I took our inaugural seaplane ride and we went up to see friends of ours, one of the guys is in the club, uh, in the seaplane. And uh, we didn't actually get a hamburger, but we definitely went and bummed around on the lake and went over to another lake and got marine gas and all that sort of stuff. Perfect. So, now my awesome. next question is actually yep. for Kelly. Now you have flown with Sean both in uh, standard aircraft and in the seaplane. Yes. So okay. what would you have to say about, what's your favorite about the two? Um, Sean's a great pilot, no matter what. Um, she's very, uh, she's very. <laughs> <fun>. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, I've I've seen his skills grow as a pilot over time. When he was a seventy-five hour pilot, that's very, very different than you know than three hundred and fifty or four hundred hours now. Um, it's interesting to me that I actually, uh, for for a while, I kind of struggled with landings. I'm not a pilot, and I didn't know what was going on, and I was just a little freaked out by it, and. He sat me down in front of a simulator and showed me all the scenarios you could possibly have in an airplane and that he could... Where things get, don't work out. And that he could land the plane, get the plane on the ground. Engine that, out on climb out, yeah, engine out in the pattern. So so then he started talking through the landings with me. And so that helped with land plane. Um, and in the seaplane, interestingly, even though I'm terrified of deep water, uh, I, uh, I love being in the seaplane. It's the coolest thing to, to be out on the water. So, uh, final question until we uh, hop up over here and continue our walk doing to our, the base. Doing our parking thing, yeah. <laughs> um, 
Is there anything else that Sean did that helped you as a non-pilot get comfortable with general aviation? Um, I think I think a lot of it was the communication, the hearing him tell me what he was doing, why he was doing it, showing me different things outside the plane. Um, to me, that you know, that seems to be an integral part of just be, becoming a pilot anyway, is being able to even you know talk your instructors through what you're doing to show them that you're proficient, to talk through your truck ride, to show your uh, examiner that you're proficient, those sorts of things. Um, that that really seems to be key. When it came time, when it came time for my uh, seaplane check ride, uh, I had learned through experience that, um, and while I was doing my seaplane riding or training, uh, I had three different instructors, so I had to talk all of them through what I was doing, and I wanted to talk them through when I was initially doing it because I wasn't certain that I was doing the right thing, right? So what I did was I I told them as I was you know as I was doing things, I'm like, all right, now I'm going to do this. Uh, this is the condition as we discussed. Here's what I'm doing about it. Uh, here's how I'm going to handle this thing. Offering them the opportunity to correct me on it. And that's something you kind of learn past uh, 100, 150 hours is to talk through that stuff. So when we got on the seaplane, I knew that Kelly had some reservations and some concerns, you know, spoken or unspoken. And I said, uh, I said, look, here's how we're going to do it. And it d didn't hurt that it was, it was basically the next ride after my check ride. And so what I what I did was I talked her just like I had talked the examiner through uh, through the ride, and I said, "All right, here's the conditions. Here's what we're doing. Here's what we're going to do about it. You know, it's going to be smooth. It's going to be bumpy. Whatever's going on, um, we're going to come in, you know, with a little extra speed, or we're going to come in right on speed. Uh, we're going to have the descent, and it probably didn't hurt that um, uh, that the seaplane landings can be smoother landings than land airplane landings." Uh, especially if the water's uh, relatively smooth, you know, you come in right on speed and you barely know that you've touched down. Mm -hmm. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's head over to the base and get to it. Awesome. Woo! You may be able to hear in the background, we are now at the seaplane base, ready for the plane to be towed up to dock number one. I am again here with Sean Barry, so we're about to pre-flight pre here. All right, so... So Oshkosh Seaplane Base, I'm not sure how it is with other seaplane bases, but there are so many planes uh, that we actually have them out on dock plugs out in the lagoon. The lagoon is protected on all sides from the weather, which is particularly handy. Uh, so our plane is being brought in by boat. They're going to bring it in uh, on a little, uh, little bitty motorboat and uh, park it at the dock for us. We can then do our pre-flight, pump out our floats, check oil, add gas. Uh, we're going to be light on fuel because we were uh, flying pretty heavily yesterday. Um, we're going to do all the standard pre-flight that anybody does uh, on any land plane. Uh, additionally, we're going to inspect our floats, make sure they're not leaking, make sure they're not full of water. If there is any water, we're going to pump them out. Um, yesterday, I found that I was missing a, missing a float plug, uh, and I had gotten some water in there, so we're going to pump out every one of those, uh, every one of those spaces. And then uh, once we're good to go on this end, uh, we've got some safety stuff to do to get safely off the dock. Uh, we're going to talk to Point Radio, who kind of is the the Unicom for Seaplane Base, uh, and they're going to uh, let us know that it's safe because they can see around the corner uh, in a way that we can't. Um, and uh, they're gonna let us know about any traffic in the area. Uh, and once we have that intel, um, you know, and we're, we're good to go, uh, we're gonna spin up the motor uh, and roll out of here. Uh, we've got a beautiful lagoon here, uh, protected on three sides. Uh, just the most picturesque thing you can possibly have. 
Um, for our ride, what we're going to do is we're going to probably take off out of the lagoon. Uh, we're going to head around the peninsula. Uh, there's a nice little monastery over here. And the monks like to do whatever it is the monks do. And so we try not to uh, fly directly over them. We try to give them a, Keep it quiet. a wide Keep quiet. berth. Uh, there are some really picturesque barns in this area. And we're going to... Uh, um, we're gonna kind of fly down the peninsula, down to Warbird Island. Yep. So we can catch your plane. Yep. And uh, we're gonna fly down the uh, uh, fly down the peninsula a little bit, um, down to Warbird Island. Uh, maybe land down by Warbird Island, weather permitting and time permitting. And then um, you know, once we're done down there, uh, come back up here. Uh, you know, if time and space permit, uh, we can actually land. Uh, over what's called the cut. That's the little space that uh, lets you into and out of the lagoon. But it is just the most picturesque, calm, beautiful morning out here. So here's our planes pulling up right now. Yep. There's a little boat attached to it and we're turning it around to bring it to the dock here. Um, yep. Any advice for first time seaplane pilots who might want to fly uh, around Oshkosh? Uh, number one, two, and three, as the UCAP boys will tell you, is uh, read the notum, read the notum, read the notum. Uh, but for first-time seaplane pilots, you may read the notum and you may find that, uh, that there's actually less info on there than you think. Um, the tricks for us, uh, we did fly in here last year. The trick for us was uh, keep it under 400 feet, keep clear of the class delta. Um, not to be used for navigation, but basically if you stay north of the river that comes into the lake uh, on your way in, you can have a really amazing view of the uh, really amazing view of the field uh, as you're coming in. We come in from the northwest, so we come in from the north. Uh, come around the delta and uh, be on the radio, have your ears on. Uh, and of course, uh, this year, and I would expect in future years, uh, you're going to keep your transponder on standby yep. uh, coming in. But keep your ears open and keep your eyes open. There's a lot of general aviation traffic. And then once your feet wet over the lake, get down to about 400 feet. Uh, and that is pretty standard for experienced seaplane pilots. So. Awesome, awesome. Uh, and just, uh, you know, talk to point and, you know, be prepared for things. Yesterday we had nine CBs working in and out of here. So there were, you know, it took us a minute or two. But, uh, but we, everybody gets in, and as long as you're uh, calm and patient, uh, everything's going to work out really great. Rock on. So instead of saying, let's roll, what should we say? Let's float? <laughs> let's fly. Let's fly. All right. I'm fueling. All right, so we're fueling up, and uh, Sean is doing the pre-flight. So just tell me what you're doing as you do not fall into the water. <laughs> yeah, that's the neat trick, isn't it? Um, so... You know, we pre-flight a seaplane just like we do any other plane. Uh, we checked the fuel. I just pulled the fuel sumps. Uh, I know I'm light on fuel from yesterday because we flew for two hours uh, after adding a little bit of gas. Um, and so I'm going to add more gas now. Uh, you know, we do all the standard things. We check the oil. We check the uh, alternator. We look inside, make sure we don't have any furry or feathered visitors hanging out in our airplane. No, thank you. Uh, there's a lot of pre-flight associated with the floats themselves, of course, because they're basically our landing gear. Uh, and, you know, a uh, gallon of water weighs eight pounds, so you're carrying any extra water, that can be a really bad day. Uh, and we did... Uh... Yes, ma'am! I didn't hear the question, actually. <laughs> Something down there, Sean. Yes! All right, uh, I'm going to go ahead and grab this uh, fuel hose here. And like any other, like any other seaplane or any other uh, Cessna 172 you're familiar with, this plane does run on uh, 
on uh, 100 low lead. Uh, we can also run on 91 octane, uh, no ethanol, uh, which is very handy because that's uh, what's called premium marine gas. So there are marinas all over the country that have 91 octane gas. Because this airplane isn't, you know, a high compression engine, it's not an IO350, no pressure. Maybe not on this hose. Uh, so like any other, like any other engine, um, you know, an IO550 or something, you might need 100 low lead. There we go. Uh, this one runs just fine on, uh, runs just fine on 91 octane, uh, no ethanol. Uh, like I said, which is very convenient. Now the, the other thing that's really different about these planes is because the props end up near water droplets a lot, the propeller takes a lot more abuse than probably anybody who lands on anything except like grass strips with a lot of gravel. So yep. the Alaska planes, that sort of thing, uh, they'll take a lot more, a lot more abuse than our planes do. Please. Oh, no, we'll just, we'll fill the tank. So it'll probably be about 15 gallons. Um, and so the prop, because the prop is hitting those water droplets so fast, it's like hitting concrete or granite pebbles or something. Uh, and so there's a lot, of, a lot of wear on the prop. And, you know, when you go pre-flight, and, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll let you go uh, uh, check it yourself, uh, you do end up with some good wear on that. And basically every six months when we, um, uh, when we take our plane off of floats or put it on floats, uh, they check the prop and they'll actually service it and, uh, you know, polish it up so that, you know, you don't have rough chunks of it that's being sharp. How much of a process is it to switch between floats and your normal gear? What's that? How much of a process is it to switch from floats? So the wheels? beautiful thing about that is uh, I got a guy that does it for me, but it's, uh, it's basically about uh, two or three hours. And uh, as you know, everything in aviation is measured in dollars. Yep. Uh, and so it's about $400. That's actually not too bad considering. Yeah, it's not crazy, right? No, not at all. So, uh, all right. So we have fuel. We're good on fuel. Uh, we've done the engine compartment. Now I'm gonna run around and do the floats. Uh, in order to do that, I need my super tool, uh, which is the pump. And so float plump is about a... Looks like a super soaker. That's exactly what it is, except in reverse. And. Uh, you basically put the nozzle of it. Every float uh, has a plug at the top of it to keep water out of it, obviously. And what you do is you put the, uh, it's got a little hole and there's a hose that goes on the inside of it down into the float uh, to help pull the water out of it. If you don't get any sound at all, then you're usually a bit worried that maybe the hose fell off or something, right? Here we go. And we are actually getting water out of this float, which is a good sign. As long as it's actually better to have water than to not have any water, uh, because if you don't have any water, then you're not sure that you're actually getting the water out of the float. But if you can uh, get water out of the float, that's a good sign. How much water on average gets in there? Uh, well, it depends on whether it rains. Um, these floats aren't perfectly waterproof from the top. There uh, we go. So, uh, if you get a big, big thunderstorm, uh, you will occasionally get a little bit of water in there. Uh, on a full day of flying, uh, the other day I pulled out, I want to say about two gallons from the different, uh, from the different uh, float, float lockers all together. 
So I am in the plane now, and Sean went around to the other side. Pilot side. And he is um, taking out the plugs and pumping out the water. It looks like there's about 10 plugs on each float. Is that about average? Uh, let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight is pretty common on a plane. Seven or eight is pretty common on a plane of this size. Uh, that caravan over there, I'm sure, has a lot more float sections than we do. But that's all right. He's a much heavier... Uh, much heavier plane. Now, one of the fun things about this is all floats are usually referred to by a number. And that float, yeah, there we go. Look at that water. Uh, that number usually refers to um, how much weight they can support. And each each uh, uh, float needs to be able to support, I believe, 80 or 90% of the weight of the plane. So this plane has Bowman, Bowman uh, 2550 floats. And that means that each float can support 2,500 pounds. So, uh, but as I said, yeah, we're running around, we're getting the, uh, the different uh, lockers pumped out so that we know we're not carrying any more water than we need to. That helps us be as light as possible coming off the water. Especially since we just filled up. Yep. So we're carrying about, uh, uh, we're carrying about three quarters gas right now. And we're gonna burn, because we're gonna be doing a lot of takeoffs and landings. Our burn rate, instead of our very conservative six or seven gallon an hour um, profile, we're probably going to be burning on average closer to 10. Yep. yep. So we need some gas if we're going to stay in the air. Let's do that. All right. So I think I'm done with pre-flight. Um, I'm going to do one last check around the airplane, look at my checklist, and then uh, we'll call uh, the point and get headed out of here. Woo! All right. So right now we're taxiing. Um, what is taxiing called while you're in the water? Water taxiing. Water taxiing. Yep. Um, the other day we were wondering what those uh, walking escalators were called and we turned out they were called moving walkways. So I uh, guess yes. there's not a fancy name for everything. Uh, yeah, I've also heard of them called uh, glidewaves. Uh, and travelators. Travelators. That's a great one. Yeah, no. So we're in a... We're, whoa, hello. When your uh, seaplane pilot says, whoa, hello, I can hear you just fine. Ah, uh, yes, there I just uh, I hit a button on my thing, so there we are, back with you. Uh, that's the challenge of noise-canceling headsets. When the battery's low, uh, sometimes it sounds funny. So there's some low ripples in the water? Yep. So one of the key things that you learn how to do in, uh, when you're getting your seaplane ticket is read the water. And so we're right near tree line, so we have relatively small amount of weight. It's very smooth. Yeah. But as you see, when we get more into the water, uh, it's going to get busier. All right, that's the array's getting ready to go. Beautiful orange sea array to our left, taking off. Yep. And we got another one coming in on descent for landing. This is when you do keep your eyes alert. Yep. And the other thing is, uh, you don't want to run across somebody else's wake. Just like when you're tubing and you can get launched while tubing behind a boat, you can get launched while in a plane. It's it's a lot more interesting in a 1,600-pound airplane. Copy that. So we are taking off with flaps. 
looks yep. like. You put in 20 degrees of flap, so it uh, gives you a little <laughs> more lift. You don't need to be going that fast. Um, and it also uh, takes a lot of weight off of the shocks or off of the uh, floats, uh, which is definitely a benefit. So. right there on the lake. Oh, it's beautiful. Oh my goodness. Uh, that's actually part of the monastery, and so we try to get them through oh, the room. Okay. Uh, the other thing we got to do is we got to make sure that we have our water runners up. actually a lot of talking on the radio making sure everyone knows where everyone is there's about five or six seaplanes around us right now and a bird point uh, 424 is going to take off to the southwest okay, the after landing checklist well, Larry and Victoria, those were some pretty cool interviews. Larry, I, I'm, I'm actually very inspired uh, by, by what I heard in your interviews. I, I, I can't wait to go to AirVenture to actually to learn more about, about uh, what they're doing. And Victoria, I, I tell you what, after listening to yours, I am ready to go get my seaplane rating. Uh, that really was quite ins inspirational for me and just a lot of fun. It sounds like I could tell with both of you that you were, were both smiling during those interviews. So that was, that was pretty awesome. Sean enjoys what he does. He was, he was such a little <laughs> geek and so happy. And I'm like, you've done this many, many times. Like, I should be the really excited one. So, yeah, it was, cool, it was a lot of cool. fun. Cool, and, uh, and Larry, again, we appreciate what you've done as far as the interviews there. That was, that was terrific. I, and I hope uh, you, the audience, have enjoyed those. But, you know, there was a couple other people that uh, you were able to meet there. Number one, uh, Tom Frick was able to work with Jason Shepard, and we have uh, actually been able to get an interview with Jason on an upcoming episode. So look, look for that in a future episode. And then, Victoria, you spoke with somebody who's actually agreed to come on the show. Who, who who is that? I spoke with a very inspirational woman and interviewed her for a good five to ten minutes and I was very tired and didn't press record properly. <laughs> her name is Jessica Cox and she has an amazing, amazing documentary all about her life called Right Footed. So we'll be interviewing her in the next Stuck Mike episode to uh, make up for the fact that I can't press buttons well. <laughs> well, that's okay. It's not like we haven't done that before. But that that's awesome, though, that she's she's coming on to spend spend time with us in a, in a whole episode. We look forward to that in an upcoming episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Also look for Jason Shepard and some other really cool interviews. Well, folks, we really appreciate you listening this evening, and hopefully next year we'll see you at AirVenture. We possibly will have a booth. I'm not going to promise right now, but I next year Carl is going to make a trek to to. Uh, Air Venture, and um, by the way, is it Oshkosh or is it Air Venture? What do most people call it? Uh, I'm not sure because I hear both things. So I, I guess I can get away with saying both of those things. Uh, but if you're an old timer, it's Oshkosh. And, uh, and if you're under the new marketing regime, it's Air Venture, right? 
So <laughs> exactly, you can trademark that. You can't trademark no, you cannot. But that's true. Well, gosh, being at Oshkosh or Air Adventure 2015 sounded like a lot of fun. I, I, these interviews were were awesome. Uh, it was an exciting event from everybody that I spoke with, and uh, we're going to try to bring you again next year a live interviews and a live show from Air Adventure. Of course, we always have the live shows from Sun and Fun and from many more air shows. We've got a lot of folks out in the field, and uh, we'd love to hear back from you what you thought about these interviews and also about uh, any possibilities for other shows that we should be going to because there's a whole bunch of them out throughout the country. So looking for those interviews with Jason Shepard, Jessica Cox in the future. Again, make sure you go visit our sponsors, aerospacescholarships.com. Really appreciate you listening. We'll speak to you next episode, and, uh, you know, safe flying. Have fun out there. Check out an air show, you know, near you. It's that time of the year. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.